I have literally just got back from watching Spider-Man No Way Home. And we're going to talk about that today, as well as Nightmare Alley, Hawkeye, and perhaps a little geek philosophy. All on today's episode of the Geek Watch Podcast. This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy Petrie. Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 133 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petrie. What's up, Bram? So we're going to talk Spider-Man, of course, Mm -hmm. just a little bit, because, of course, you haven't seen it yet. Nope, I will see it this week. We're also going to talk about Nightmare Alley. I got to see that last night. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we got to talk about that penultimate episode (sighs) of Hawkeye Mm -hmm. as well. But before we get started on that, and we haven't done this in a while, but uh, we are going to talk a little bit, uh, a little bit of memorial today because last weekend Anne Rice passed away. Yes, mm-hmm. the mother of vampires. In a real sense, for mm-hmm. sure. And as a young writer, she was a real inspiration to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't ever get the chance to meet her. Uh, I do happen to have a signed book of hers, but mm. yeah, especially in my young life, she was quite the influence mm-hmm. and. She was really, I don't know, a patron of the paranormal renaissance, mm-hmm. really, that came about from her work and then those that followed her. A lot of the stuff that she created and she wrote had that feel of the Victorian novel, the mm-hmm. Gothic novel. It right, was Southern Gothic. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. Southern Gothic and, mm-hmm. and Victorian Gothic and, and a lot of stuff in between. And she brought back really that literary feel to Gothic literature. Because a lot of it up to that point was very urban, very gritty, mm-hmm. and the work that she did was more reflective of a bygone age, which for a lot of us who were fans, you know, was fantastic. I, I can understand why to some people it wasn't necessarily their taste, but she really was a huge influence and she really did bring the vampire to the 20th and 21st century in a real way, in the late 20th century, and shaped really what we think today about vampires. Mm-hmm. Of course, that vampire renaissance is still going on. I could spend this entire podcast talking about what she meant to me as a young writer and you know a young person. She passed away at 80 with complications due to a stroke, and mm-hmm. right around about the same date that her husband had passed away, maybe it missed by like mm. a day or two, and that happened a few years ago, mm-hmm. and of course that affected her in a huge way. But... All the good ones are going. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, I, I, there's yes, not going to be there's not going to be any one of her like again. And so, really, what breaks my heart about it is that she's not going to get to see the series mm-hmm. of Interview with a Vampire. And really, it wasn't until the mid knots to the early teens of the 2000s that we really started looking at literature. One book does not have to equal one movie. And I think maybe True Blood might have done that. We can take one book and we can stretch it out into a series. Mm-hmm. And then that can become its own really genre. And there were so many books that should have been that way. And for years, we've tried to one book, one movie. And Harry Potter, uh, Lord of the Rings, and you miss out on so much. So Interview with the Vampire was one of those that really needed a series. Mm-hmm. Not that the movie is not a fantastic masterpiece. It is. But the story, to give it what it deserves, it really did need a series. And for her to have seen her work done in in that media, in that form, I'm sorry that she missed that. Oh, yeah. And it's funny you mentioned the movie because... In the beginning, she wasn't a big fan of it, specifically the casting of Lestat. 
mm. Tom Cruise. She thought that really? was she thought it was horrible casting, and she wasn't afraid to tell everybody who listened that she hated the idea of Tom Cruise playing Lestat until she saw the movie and saw him play Lestat, uh-huh. and then suddenly she didn't feel the same way. He has better chops than she thought. Yeah. yeah well. She saw the character in a certain way, and she didn't think that Tom Cruise was that person. But then once she saw the performance, she changed her mind. Mm -hmm. And that was a real lesson, I think, that uh, we can take into geekdom. But more on that later. Okay. First, let me talk about Nightmare Alley, which I saw last night. Mm -hmm. And wow. Wow. Now, the pictures you had looked like you were in an empty theater. Do you think that affected your viewing of it? Well, I mean, I'm going to say this now. It's pretty obvious that if you open up a movie on the same weekend as (laughs) Spider-Man, you're going to have a problem getting people in the theater. And to me, it was like crazy that they would even do that. Mm -hmm. But I will say this. First of all, there were a few people who came in after I posted those pictures. And so there were some people in the audience. Of course, it was the smallest theater in in Mm -hmm. the whole. It was like maybe six or seven of us, but, I mean, that was enough. And I will say this about the movie. We talked about the trailer, and it was very intriguing. And, of course, I've been a fan of a lot of Guillermo del Toro's work. Let me just go ahead and say now, I think this is, in my opinion, this is the best movie he's ever done. Really? Oh. And that's pretty high praise. That is. Mm. But then again, I have a genetic propensity for liking this kind of movie. I mean, <laughs> literally, I, honestly, if Hollywood said, we need to make Brian Hatcher a film, this is the film they would have made. Oh, okay. It was hmm. tailor-made to check off all the boxes of stuff I'd want to see in a film. <laughs> it had everything. It had suspense and noir. It had carny. It had magic and mentalism. By magic, I mean performance magic. Prestidigitation. Yes, things mm-hmm. of that nature. The thing about it is you look at this stuff and you you think of Del Toro's catalog of movies, you may think going into the film that real supernatural stuff is going to be involved in the movie, and it's not. Ooh, okay. In a sense, it's not. There's no real supernatural stuff going on, but there are people trying to make people believe that there is. Okay. And so, in a real sense, playing against type works for the tone of the film, and I'm Probably going to wind up watching it again a time or two if I get the chance. I love pretty much everything that Guillermo del Toro has done. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Kronos. I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of Hellboy. Mm-hmm. You know, I even like Crimson Peak when a lot of people didn't oh, like I that. Oh, I love Crimson Peak. I didn't know people didn't like it. Some people had a problem with it because of the pacing. Um, Going back to what we were saying about Anne Rice, Mm -hmm. Crimson Peak is a gothic novel brought Mm -hmm. to the screen. And there are some people that said you should never bring a gothic novel to the screen. It's just too slow. But Mm -hmm. gothic novels are all about the pacing Mm -hmm. and the atmosphere. Crimson Peak is what I wanted out of Dark Shadows. Mm -hmm. You know, rather than that campy, uh, not that it it shouldn't have that kind of campiness to it, but that's not what I wanted out of it. Yeah. But, yeah, I I did. I enjoyed Crimson Peak. I thought it was a great ghost story. Well, I think you'll really enjoy Nightmare Alley. Like I said, it's got that noir 50s style Mm -hmm. of How about, like, compared to Woman in Black? What are we thinking about? I would say it's a little more gritty than that. Okay. Like I said, it, it it has a lot of that thriller, Mickey Spillaney kind of a thing, but it also has carny trash in it. And <laughs> you got Bradley Cooper and Willem Dafoe and Ron Perlman and uh, Kate Blanchett. And they are. Oh, act- that is a stellar, stellar cast. And they are acting their butts off in this thing. Then it's again, cool. in the name of the king, a dungeon siege <laughs> had a stellar cast. And. 
oh, was that not an absolute piece of... Although I would re- watch that before I watched BBC's Dracula. But uh, <laughs> <There we laughs> stellar go. cast, but apparently this has a good a good story, a good good movie along with it. Huh? Well, in all fairness, Yui Bowl and Guillermo del Toro aren't comparable as directors. They're... <laughs> To be nice about it, their styles are different. We'll, we'll just say that there, there are different, there are different breeds of directors, and that's and that's where I'll leave it. Okay. But I can see again going back to pacing, and there's a bit of a slow burn, and I can see where some people that might not be their thing. Okay. But even if it's not, hold on, because mm-hmm. when you get to the halfway point, the pace picks up. And what's really great about it is I saw where they brought in Michael Close, an amazing magician, to basically help them with the scripting and, and a lot of the stuff. And they brought in the Eversons, which is a, one of the best, I would say, two-person mentalism performers mm-hmm. you know, out there and help them with a lot of the stuff that was done in the movie. And So you're saying they are honest television psychics. <laughs> well, <laughs> I would say that, yes. <laughs> and here's what I found interesting about this film. Like, I don't want to go into any spoilers because you want to go into this knowing as little as possible. And that's one thing I thought that Del Toro did really great, or at least the movie studio did really wonderfully with the trailers, is they don't tip off a whole lot of what's going on. They give you the feel of what you're going into in this film, but they don't give you any plot points. And there was a Tyrone Powers film. I think we talked about this when I talked about the trailer, but Tyrone Powers did the earlier version of the movie, and it almost wrecked his career because they didn't want to see him as sort of a villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and the studios owned you. And yeah. <laughs> you had to do what they said. And yeah, yes. but he was able to do this, and it really did change his career for the better because they mm-hmm. saw that he had a range to him. Mm-hmm. But Del Toro talks about he didn't really want to lean too heavily into the movie. So when he wrote the screenplay, and I'm trying to remember who the other person was who wrote it with him. Great screenplay, by the way on top of everything else, but based it mostly off of the book. It definitely follows the book more closely than the older film did. It's so beautifully acted, so beautifully shot, and it's Oscar bait, Mm, you're being quite frankly, because it's that good. Okay, well, Shape of Water, you know, was a surprising Oscar bait movie, so. Yeah, another Del Toro, of course. Right, yes. But this one is, I mean, I have a genetic propensity for love in this film, But a lot of the backstage stuff that they talk about in this movie is legit. They use the language of the trade. Ooh, okay. So this is real. Mm -hmm. This is not some fake Hollywood version of this stuff. This Mm -hmm. is the stuff. I will say that after watching Spider-Man, or if you're waiting for Spider-Man in the afternoon, you just happen to find yourself at the movie theater, (laughs) watch this. More people need to see it. it. No, Mm -hmm. absolutely not. But... I will say that it's very depressing of the fact that this movie was released when it was because it's a basically it's a Fox Searchlight film. Well, they call it Searchlight film now. Mm-hmm. So Disney released it. This was like the worst time to release it, but mm-hmm. it's that's the problem I I think Disney has is Was this exclusive in theaters? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they didn't do it like they did Black Widow or No, anything. no, not at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was like they basically dumped this film. And that's the thing. Disney does some really great stuff, but I think that there's a type of movie they haven't figured out how to monetize yet. Okay, let's just imagine a film. Say you had like a remake of a classic film, like say West Side Story. 
<laughs> that say there was this really, really good remake, and you had like a brilliant director, like uh, I don't know, Steven Spielberg. Oh, mm-hmm. to do this. Wow, film. you mean Steven Spielberg doing a musical? Yeah, doing a musical and a classic musical, and wow. so, and let's say that the critics really loved it. People loved this film. It got great ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. But then it gets dumped two weeks before a big hit movie, and it it gets next to no publicity. And let's just say, just as a coincidence, it's a searchlight film. Well, you know, obviously none of these things are coincidence because that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, there's all these great films. I don't know where you're getting your hypotheticals, sir. (laughs) Oh, from real life. (laughs) Because that's exactly what happened. And West Side Story tanked. It oh, completely that br- that's heartbreaking. I heard nothing but wonderful things about it. I didn't get to go see it. I was trying to stay away from large crowds because my dad was having surgery. Yeah. You know, we're theater people. So right. all my friends on Facebook are theater people. So everyone is going to see West Side Story. And everyone loves it. And they talk about how wonderful it is. Yeah. But oh. it, it tanked in the box office because it got no support. Oh, my heart. And I'm afraid that's what's going to happen with Nightmare Alley. Another amazing film. That because Disney isn't sure how to deal with this type of film, they basically inherited them. And they're like, (laughs) they don't know how to market them. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk more about this, and I will in just a bit. But But before that, but first, let's talk about a film that was marketed extremely well. And uh, it's going to be the film this weekend and probably a few weekends after. And, of course, it's Spider-Man No Way Home, (gasps) which I just saw. (laughs) Are you doing mentally and... Even physically. How did that affect you physically? Well, obviously, this was a packed theater. And right, so a very different experience. A, you very, know, a very different A shared ex- experience. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And first of all, I'm going to say, stay for the credits. <laughs> why do I still have to say that? To see people walking out when the credits start, I'm like, why? You know, <laughs> Marvel and the Marvel-adjacent films, they got after credit scenes, and you miss them big ones <laughs> if you didn't stay. You'll definitely be kicking yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously that's all I'm going to say. In fact, I'm not going to talk about anything that happens in the film. I'm just going to talk about my feelings of it mm-hmm. because this is definitely not something that I want to spoil for anybody. But I, this is what I will say. First of all, there's been a lot of speculation about the film and a lot of fan theories. And it's usually, a, to my mind, it's a good idea that you don't get too emotionally invested in your fan theory. Just because it doesn't happen doesn't mean that the film wasn't good or whatever. And, I mean, you can have some really crazy wild fan theories. And there was all over this film. Don't be disappointed if you don't get exactly the film you were expecting. Get away from that thought and just enjoy this film because there's a lot of stuff in there. And I can see why people were saying this is probably the most Spider-Man of the Tom Holland films. Okay. And I will also say that some people who have had problems with Tom Holland Spider-Man for certain things people who think that those things were bad they do get fixed we'll just call it fixed although i didn't personally have a problem with some of the stuff if you did don't worry it's going to be fixed by the end of the movie but i will say this sacrifices are made Mm. and bring tissues (laughs) because there are there are moments there are going to be definitely moments in there and this is definitely a film that has consequences there's a reason why they call this no way home Because Tom Holland's Spider-Man and the world he lives in, it has changed irrevocably. But what a right to get there. I have always been a fan of Tom Holland's portrayal of Spider-Man. The moment I heard he was doing it, I was saying, when I heard they were going to recast Spider-Man and they were going to make him part of the MCU, 
my biggest hope was they were going to hire somebody really young. They weren't going to mm-hmm. make him like a, an older teenager or a college student. I always wanted him to be that 15, 16-year-old kid yep. that younger people could identify with because we had the older heroes, we had the adult heroes, but you wanted to have those kid heroes. Yep. And I really hoped that they would do that with Spider-Man, and they did. Personally, it was exactly what I wanted, but I think it also worked out very brilliantly. Mm-hmm. And it gave Tom Holland Spider-Man room to grow and grow up. And especially in this movie, that's definitely what's going on. This is his transition from being that kid to being the adult Spider-Man. Okay. He has to make some sacrifices. He has to make some serious decisions. And they are definitely the type of decisions that are going to not only affect him, but the world around him. Mm -hmm. And it was everything I wanted out of that movie, for sure. But yes, stay for the after credit scenes because it sets up so much. Okay. And I can also see why people were saying this is probably one of the best Doctor Strange movies, that it was better (laughs) than his actual movie. Uh, And I can see that because it really plays heavily into Doctor Strange's world. Okay. And I'm going to tell you this, and you already know this. It's just like the one rule we always remember in Doctor Who, the Doctor always lies. In Marvel movies, Marvel always lies. Because there are scenes in the trailer that didn't happen. (laughs) They flat out just filmed them. (laughs) Just for the trailer. To mess with you. (laughs) They didn't happen in the movie. (laughs) And I'm not saying that they they got put on the cutting room floor or something. Uh, Mm -hmm. No, I'm talking about a scene that plays completely different than the way it played in the movie. Okay. It's obvious that for the trailer, they filmed some stuff. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, an amazing, amazing, amazing film. Okay. But let's talk about something you have seen. Mm Mm-hmm. Hawkeye. (laughs) Episode 5 of Hawkeye. This is going to be the perfect lead into it because what's really cool about Spider-Man is that there are some references to stuff in the TV shows because... A lot of the times in the past with the MCU, especially with like the Netflix series, Mm -hmm. they were canon adjacent. Mm -hmm. And then Spider-Man, they had the uh, billboards for Rogers the Musical. (laughs) They were in in Spider-Man No Way Home, which was cool. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, you know, then we get to Hawkeye where there's a lot of just kind of references to stuff. There's a Spider-Man reference in the latest edition of Hawkeye. And this is not going to be a spoiler because if you've seen the trailer, you know about this. But when Elena is talking about the new and improved Statue of Liberty. Oh, okay. I was wondering what that was. Yeah, because Mm -hmm. they put Captain America's shield on the Statue of Liberty. Oh. Which plays a huge part, Mm -hmm. of course. uh, If you've seen the trailer of Spider-Man No Way Home, then you've seen the Statue the, the shield. I hadn't um, thought about it. Yeah, so, so that's it's definitely uh-huh. there. But I, Oh, I love that scene. Uh, that is because, you know, one of my favorite, I don't know if it would be trope or what you call it, but we've talked about it on here before. I love people in extreme situations talking about mundane things. Oh, yes. You know, and so we're here in this extreme situation. We may kill each other. We may not. We're talking about, you know, what well, you got to see the Christmas tree. Oh, yeah, I've got to see the Christmas tree. Oh, yeah. And it's, that is beautiful. And, oh, thank you, Florence Pugh. That. <laughs> Oh, yes. (laughs) That was fantastic. And making the the macaroni, and it's delicious. Like, yes, I know. I know it's delicious. Oh, it's just my heart. And you know the thing about it, of course, the mac and cheese, if you've seen Black Widow, because did you have you seen have you seen Black Widow? I I've, I've seen bits of it. I haven't seen, seen Well, the scene at the beginning when they're just kids and they're undercover 
and Yelena asks her mom, he said, well, her mom asks her, well, what do you want for dinner? And she says, mac and cheese. Oh. Uh, and I they were the, the sleeper family, right? Yes. Yeah. The sleeper uh-huh. family. They the, get the red scare. Exactly. <laughs> sleeper families. And so that was her favorite meal was mac and cheese. Oh. And, and that's like, my dad says it's good for you, mm-hmm. you know. And so you get that moment. But uh, I gained such a, a huge bit of respect for for Yelena, the fact that she put so much sriracha on her mac and cheese. Yeah, because I Love. do that. <laughs> I have I have a bottle Love of sriracha. <laughs> I have that bottle of sriracha in my refrigerator, and when the mac and cheese is made, mm-hmm. I douse that stuff. Yeah, and one of your theories was proven that the mother did hire the Black Widow, but then I go back to think about the Julie Louis Dreyfus character who went to find Yelena. Yeah. So is she related? Is she a part of this company? Because she seems more PR, turning Walker into into U.S. agent. So, you know, where does she fall into this story? Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. a very good question. And there were a lot of things uh, brought up in this episode five. And obviously the reveal at the end of Kingpin. Uh Uh-huh. Now, we had some hints with Uncle. Mm -hmm. If you've read the comics, you know that Echo has ties with the Kingpin. Okay. And with Daredevil in the comics. Uh-huh. And so they've been teasing it. Of course, the uh, the car lot that's a base of operations for the tracksuit mafia mm-hmm. is called the Fat Man Car Lot. So mm-hmm. there have been these references. And so when Kingpin actually showed up, if you're paying attention, it wasn't that big of a surprise, but it was still awesome. Yes. You yes, know, it very. Was and, and his connection to this company. What I was thinking is, as we were watching, especially this episode, the tracksuit mafia, everyone's, oh, it's so, oh, they're so bad. They're so, you got to be scared of them. But then everything we've seen of them, they're completely just inept and everything. But, you know, we're seeing that from the perspective of Hawkeye. And so to them, who are really, really good at what they do, these people do seem inept. And, like, they don't understand what they're talking about. But to the layperson, you know, they'd be very scary. Oh, yeah. If and you ran into yes. a bunch of them in an alley, you'd be Right. Uh-huh. Now, Going back to Kingpin for just a minute, he's like the perfect villain for Hawkeye and this series, specifically because the entire show has been about family, mm-hmm. and Kingpin is about family. I mean, yes, he's an evil crime boss, but he loves Vanessa. He loves his wife, and not in the typical evil villain way of, you know— obsession. Th- yeah, it's, he legit for real loves this woman to a degree that it makes him even more dangerous mm-hmm. how much he truly loves her. And, of course, his relationship with Maya. Mm-hmm. And so now that she knows or at least suspects that Kingpin had her father killed, you know, <gasps> that breaking of that bond, the Kingpin's going to take that much more personally. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say this, and I'm going to make a vague reference to a previous six-series television show that I may have talked about in the past that I'm not going to bring it up again right now because (laughs) we've heard enough about it. (laughs) But there's a little bit of an irony, I'm going to say, in Hawkeye because in that other series that we're not going to mention the name of, Okay. I was worried in episode five that there were so many threads that hadn't been tied off and that one episode might not be enough to take care of all of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of there mm-hmm. with episode five of Hawkeye because there are a lot of things yeah. going on. We got teased by so many things. And uh, for me, it's the, it's the simple things that don't matter. Like we didn't get to see the costumes. He's like, I got your and Kate's costumes ready and we didn't get to see them. I was so mad. And I've got the perfect name for your dog. And we didn't get to hear it. And yes, it was, you know, all those little things. There's the ones that bother me. I'm 
totally fine with these open threads because I know more is coming and I'm, oh, yeah. I'm excited for it. Like, yes, don't tell me if Echo's going to kill her friend and all that stuff. I'm willing to wait for it. But those little things, man. I mean, obviously they're doing the same thing in Hawkeye that they did with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We knew that Sam had the costume, but we didn't get to see it in mm-hmm. action until the last episode. They held off on it. And that's definitely what they're going to be doing with this, because there's going to be like a big fight at the end, and oh, they will they be wearing, and they they will be wearing their costumes. Fine. So you'll get uh-huh. there. But there are so many little plot points, and I think some of it, what I said about the show that will not be named, about how my theory on episode five was there was going to be some plot threads that were going to carry off into other episodes, and I think in this case with Hawkeye episode five, I think. That is the case. I think a good number of these plot threads are going to be covered in Echo when it comes out. We're not going to get a resolution for Echo storyline that's going to come in her own series. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't necessarily bother me. But there's some stuff that I hope that they talk about. (laughs) We still don't know what this watch is. Yeah. We we haven't figured out that MacGuffin Uh yet. It's going to have to play into something. I will also say that getting Wilson Fisk for one episode kind of sucks because, <laughs> again, it's it's not like I feel like it's overblown or anything like that. It's just I want a bunch of episodes with Wilson Fisk. Yep. So hopefully we get to see more of him. And I, I figure they're going to develop some stuff with him. And I think especially with Echo, we're going to see a lot of Wilson Fisk and Echo. Okay. So, mm-hmm. again, this may just be whetting our appetite for mm. more of that. And so I think a lot of the stuff with Kate and with Clint will be taken care of by the next episode, which unfortunately, since we're going to be on break for two weeks because of Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, it's going to be a minute before we get to even talk about what happens in that final episode. So it, yeah. we're, it's going to marinate for a little yep. while. But, oh. there's going to have to talk about everything else and avoid that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is now this is the show that must not be named. We do not talk uh, first rule of... Hawkeye, don't talk about Hawkeye. <laughs> we don't talk about Hawkeye unless we're <laughs> recording, for mm-hmm. sure. But the other thing, too, I got to say, can I go ahead and just say right now that Laura Barton is a real one? Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, just her calm demeanor. Yeah. And these bad people are probably coming for you. No, we're fine. We'll take care of yeah, it. Yeah, we got it. We're well, fine. And, well, you know, you know. And, and we do know that they've been training the kids. They had their little bows before the blink. I wouldn't doubt the kids could probably handle a bit themselves. Oh, yeah. So Well, mm. the thing about it, what I love is that normally in this type of a television show or any television show where you have this kind of a plot, stereotypically you'd have the wife being kind of the shrew saying, why are you getting involved in all this stuff? Mm-hmm. When you need be? to be home for Christmas, yes. And mm-hmm. she's not that. but mm-hmm. she's al- And she's also not the, the milk toast, wilting flower that whatever you want to do, honey, is fine with me. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, if there's BS... She'll call him on his BS. Mm-hmm. They are very much equals. And I'll go as far as to say they are probably the best, strongest relationship in the entire MCU. I can't imagine two people better paired and a better for each other than Clint and Laura Barton. Mm-hmm. They were meant to be married. You wonder, that warning for Echo, don't mess with me or my family. I it may not be Ronan you need to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, mess with the mama's kids and see what happened. Uh-huh. And I think Laura could very much take care of herself mm-hmm. and do a number on Echo. Mm-hmm. I and if she is Mockingbird, you yeah. know, because uh, Mockingbirds have the, like, they force other birds to take care of their kids. <laughs> that's true. Well, that's true. I hadn't thought of that. Yes. Uh-huh. That's going to be something really interesting to uh, 
to see how that develops. And although we're going to have to wait a couple of weeks, when we get back, I'm sure we're going to have a ton to talk about. But Mm -hmm. to end, I wanted to talk a little something to end the year because we're a few days away from what's going to be your fourth anniversary of being on the show. Yeah, because you started, I think it was December, I want to say it was like the 23rd. I think it was our first uh-huh. episode, 23rd, 24th. Well, awesome. And so can you believe we've been doing this four years? It does not feel like it. <laughs> yeah. But I did want to end the year. I wanted to talk about something, and I've been kind of teasing it all the way through. But mm-hmm. going back to Hawkeye for just a minute, Florence Pugh, a couple of weeks ago, she um, got her Instagram account banned. Did you hear about this? I did not. Well, Why? Uh? Well, what happened was she, like the rest of us, was very excited about the fact that she was appearing in Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. And so when she made her appearance, she did an Instagram video post of her watching herself in that scene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when the mask gets pulled off, it's like, oh, my God, it's Yelena. Yeah. In all social media, there is this robot with mouse ears. But <laughs> anytime they see... Anytime that they see material Mm -hmm. that belongs to the mouse, they shut that stuff down. And you done ticked off your boss. (laughs) (laughs) The the irony is like, but that's her. It's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's her acting a role, but that program doesn't belong to her. And so (laughs) she got, I I don't think it's a perma-ban. Okay. But yeah, the the Disney-shaped robot that prowls basically... (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> did a uh-huh. copyright strike on the video, and when that happens, you get taken down. And so mm-hmm. she got she got slammed. But this goes back to something that I, I wanted to talk about, about geek culture. And this is stuff that we've been talking about in the show for the last four years. Mm-hmm. And it's really starting to show itself again. I think it's something we should definitely think about. It's basically the way that geek culture works now as far as coming up with content. Now, of course, with COVID and Content's becoming more important than ever, and we're getting content in a lot of different places. The way this content is developed and the way that it's propagated is changing in a huge way. And another really good example of this is Cowboy Bebop on Netflix. Yeah, oh, my heart was broken because I loved it. (laughs) I loved it so much. (laughs) Yeah, of course, our friend Kevin, oh, man, he, he was so ready for the show. He loved it. And they canceled so quickly. I mean, it right? took... I just... I, I am floored. I don't understand. And that was something that I definitely wanted to talk about because there was some voices online of uh, people who didn't like the show because of the fact that, well, the characters didn't look exactly the way that they wanted them to look. And, and I think that really played in the reason why the show didn't really get a chance. Ugh. And here's the thing. Um, to use a metaphor of the stock market... When you invest in the stock market, there are a couple of philosophies that you can use. And the one that most people use is that you buy stocks and you sit on them and you get dividends. You're not making like, you know, hands over fist amounts of money, but you make steady money. And as you build your portfolio, you know, you get a very stable set of stocks that are making you steady money and reliable money. If you're investing in these kind of funds and these type of stocks, you're going to make money. And then there are the investments that are the high risk, high reward. Now, they are the type of investments that you get in at the right time. And if you can play the stocks well and you can spot one of these these quick rising stocks and you can do that and you have the money to put into it, you can make a ton of money doing it. But if you guess wrong, it can tank on you really quickly. And so 
the price you pay for being able to make a ton of money really quickly on something is the fact that if it doesn't go your way, you can bottom out. And I think in a real sense, geek culture and geek culture content is that high risk, high reward. I think that there's some really solid stocks now when it comes to movies. I mean, obviously, the Marvel films are going to do really well, but they're not guaranteed. And they've had their problems. We can go back just as far as Eternals. But the thing about it is movie studios right now, they're really looking at those really fast, high-risk, high-reward. I think movie studios, and especially like Netflix, to continue with the stock metaphor, I think their attitude when it comes to movies are like day traders. They are willing to put a ton of money into something that's going to have a meteoric rise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're making those risks. But the minute the stock in this movie drops or this TV show, mm-hmm. like Cowboy Bebop, just like a day trader, they will sell everything they got. The minute it starts to go down, they will sell, they will get out, they'll go to the next big thing. Oh, wow. And I think that's the issue that we're running mm-hmm. into. And I think that was the problem that Disney has with films like West Side Story and Mm -hmm. Nightmare Alley. Those are steady films. Mm -hmm. They're good films. They are the type of films that everybody says they want, although they don't tend to go to see them. Mm -hmm. But they're the films everybody's like, well, you know, why do we always have to have superhero movies? You know, word of mouth. And and there are a lot of, again, everybody gets mad when a director, and it's happened a bunch of times, but... Every time a director has complained about those Marvel superhero movies, why do um, Hollywood studios, why are they continuing to make these superhero movies? Because they're that high risk, high reward, mm-hmm. and they do really well. But nobody's making those safe investment films. They're not making the slow growth film. Mm-hmm. And if they are, they can be fantastic films, but they're not going to get the budget for advertising, and they're going to wind up getting dumped. Yeah. And it's a shame because... If you're the type of person like I am who likes all kinds of different movies, Mm -hmm. who likes the superhero movies and wants to continue to have them made, but also likes really good films that challenge you, like Nightmare Alley, because it's a great film, but it's not a fun one. Mm -hmm. It's not the (laughs) feel-good film of the summer. Yeah. It's not the film that you can just sit there with your popcorn and turn your brain off. (laughs) Because of the fact now that movie studios are becoming day traders and they're looking for that high-risk, high-reward film, And because of the fact that we as geeks and nerds now have such a bigger voice because of the Internet and the fact that we can say stuff and people can hear our opinions, we can kill projects really quickly. Like (laughs) Cowboy Bebop. That was all about the fans trashing it. And Netflix was like, well, okay, they don't like it. We'll go to the next thing. Uh, Yeah, that's heartbreaking. uh, Not saying that as fans we shouldn't say when we don't like something i'm not suggesting that yeah we need to be more grateful and when we get stuff we need to appreciate it and not talk badly about it i'm not saying that because let's be honest for the last few weeks i've been trashing a tv show that i love Mm -hmm. and i'll also go as far as to say that my intention to talking about the show was i wanted to talk about the story and things i didn't like about the plot I didn't want to drag people into it. I didn't mm-hmm. want to drag the showrunner slash writer into it. And I think we can all agree that I didn't succeed in that as m- <laughs> well as I should have. <laughs> the thing about it is this. We have to realize that we have real power. We can kill projects. And because of that, we have to understand that sometimes it's just a good idea to give something time mm-hmm. to grow. And maybe it will develop into something that we can really like. And Because... 
Although I, I'm, I'll go ahead and say Doctor Who. I'll say <laughs> it. I will say it. I was. I don't believe that Chris Chibnall hates the show and is trying to destroy it. I think he loves the show. I don't agree with what he did with the show, but he's a fan, and you know he's a fan because there are videos on YouTube of him as a young man talking about stuff in the show he didn't like, things about the show that irritated him as a fan. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you this. If I were the showrunner of Doctor Who or... Heck, if if I just wrote an episode of Doctor Who, if for some reason things aligned in a really weird way and I was able to write an episode of Doctor Who, I would know for a fact that people would talk trash about that episode because an American wrote it. (laughs) Yeah. Because Americans, there are Americans that say Americans Mm -hmm. shouldn't write Doctor Who. And I would Uh know for a fact that without even giving the episode a chance, without even watching Mm -hmm. it, they would say this episode is garbage. Because an American wrote it, he doesn't understand Doctor Who. I would know a lot of the criticism coming wouldn't even be fair criticism because right. it wouldn't. Have Those even are the same people who said that Robin Williams shouldn't be in Harry Potter. Yeah, but here's the thing: knowing that the criticism wasn't fair, it still hurt. Mm-hmm. I would still be hurt by it, and yeah. I have no doubt that Chris Chibnall is hurt by the criticisms he's received on what he's done on Doctor Who. Because as a fan, he was just trying to make his mark. We may disagree with what he intended to do. And we may disagree for good reason, but it can't feel good. I mean, obviously it can't feel good. What I wanted to do is I think I wanted to end the year with just this idea that we need to understand as fans that we have power, Mm -hmm. that we can, with our voices, kill projects and limit what we get. And the thing about it is there's a lot of great stuff that we're getting right now But as long as studios, television studios, movie studios have this day trader philosophy, you'll get things like Cowboy Bebop killed before a season finishes. Heck, you'll get things like the Swamp Thing show getting killed before even the first episode happened. Mm -hmm. Not to say we shouldn't use our voices, but we should understand that we're not just shouting out into the ether that we are being heard and understanding. People are listening. Mm -hmm. People are listening. And the fact that our voices are powerful, we now need to understand that we need to use that power responsibly. Going back to Spider-Man, great power comes great responsibility. And so with that said, we come to the end of episode 133 and the end of 2021. And so happy holidays to everyone. And thank you for listening, and tune in next time for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch Podcast. For Mandy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher saying happy holidays, and remember, we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch Podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the GeekWatch podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The GeekWatch podcast is a Hanging J production. <laughs>